welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Mikey Maximus the Furnicus. Say what? Sure, it. D-O-C-G, Doc G. What is happening, sir? My goodness, another Wednesday is coming straight at us, Mike. Oh, yeah. Straight at us. How are you doing? Uh, eight out of ten. Nice. Oh, oh, all right. not all the way up at eight point five, but yeah, eight ten, eight out of ten. You know, a little. I feel, I feel good though. Doldrums, a little bit of doldrums of the of the summertime. You know, you do get that yeah. little middle of the summer dip. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like, but uh, you know, don't worry. Wimbledon's yeah. coming, so they'll pick you up, right? There we go. Nothing, there we go. Nothing like huh? nothing like <laughs> British folks with stringent rules of tennis to get you amped. Woo! Mm-hmm. Woo! Yeah. Mike, we Love said it, it a couple of uh, weeks ago, we want the Doc G Show to be the people's summer party. Agreed. Yes, this is what we want. We want them turning it on to get ready for fun. So I this is a fun show. Well, I thought what better way to get people fired up than some geopolitical news updates. Am I right? There we go. There Woo! we go. Let's go. Yeah. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, Mike. People come to the Doc G show for serious geopolitical news and debate. That is and that's what we have. Got it. We got it. That's and I, I want I want just a couple of things that have came up on the old radar, Mike. Did you see it? See what went down in Russia this past weekend? Uh, mercenary? Yeah. yeah. My Wagner? goodness. Yeah. The Wagner group, Mike. Uh, Wagner. Wagner, oh, yeah. I said, you know, I said Wagner. Yeah, uh, they, they do it all the time on the news. You know, <laughs> it's, it's my American. I was about to say, it's VW deal. You know, switch it in the uh, in languages there. Um, full-scale mutiny, Mike. Almost. Almost took place. It was wild. Mm-hmm. It was wild. Uh, listeners, if, you, if none of you uh, care, here, long story short, there's a fella named Pergosian. Uh He didn't like uh, the way the fellas over at the Ministry of Defense in Russia were running things. So he said, hey, I'm taking my troops back from the battlegrounds in Ukraine, and I'm going to go hand in Moscow, basically what he said. And uh, he got 120 miles away from Moscow. Jeez. It's only 120 miles away. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to turn around. I've changed my mind. Hmm. And then he turned around, and it was over. And that was pretty much it. And nothing really happened. Yeah. You know, they just, they just, they drove up a interstate for seven hours. And, uh, and the news, the news channels were losing their mind. Uh, and you could tell that my favorite part about it, Mike, there's, there's, uh, there's so many things I could go into the actual, Actual geopolitics. Don't worry, listeners. I'm not really yeah. doing that. <laughs> you already changed the channel, I know. Um, <laughs> but you could tell the producers of the news shows were so when he decided to turn around. Yeah. Because they were like, 
We were going to talk about this for weeks. We weren't going to have to write anything. Oh, man. And they yeah. tried to milk it for like three days. They still brought on all the Russian experts and everything else. They're like, you want to talk about this so we don't have to write real news stories? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> you can just chat about this for a while. What do you think about this guy? You know anything about this guy? What about Putin? You want to talk about him? Anything? Maybe? Just give us some time. We don't want to do anything. Nope. That was... Yeah. That was my biggest takeaway, Mike. They were they were very depressed, very depressed. Yeah. Hey, I I, I was kind of hoping for a little civil war myself. I was not. I mean, uh, All war, Mike. We do not condone it. We well, do not. Doesn't yeah. matter what it is. Does not matter yeah. what it is. Now, Mike, the the Russian news actually overshadowed the real geopolitical news, the real ground shifting, amazing story out there. Hmm. Elon Musk challenged Mark Zuckerberg to a cage match. Ooh, yes. Yes. What do you think, Doc G? Who do you, who do you got? I think this is the dumbest thing I've ever <laughs> heard of. And I've heard of a lot of dumb things. Listeners, you've heard many, many dumb things on this show. Yes! This outdoes it, by far. Yes! Not only is this the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, Mike, I don't think I've ever wanted to see both people in a fight lose so bad. <laughs> this, this is the tech CEO version of ISIS versus Al-Qaeda. You're like, oh, well, I hope both of them really lose. Is there <laughs> double knockout potential here? I don't know. Mm. I'll tell you how That'd dumb this awesome. fight is, Mike. I would rather watch a Jake Paul fight than this. Really? Yeah. Well, I, eh, uh, I don't know. That is, I, I, I might have spoke too soon. That was, that was this. No, it's pretty, I mean, Jake Paul fights some fun guys. Mayweather. I mean, that was a good fight. Yeah. Good, I mean, I didn't even watch it. I don't know what I'm talking about. Never mind. It was, it was, I, it, I watched the highlights. It was yeah, okay. Yeah. A lot of people did. A lot of people yeah. watched it. But think about this, Mike. Two dudes that run the t two of the most important information companies in the world. So true. Like, they literally, they control more information than any other company in the world. Yeah. One of these companies, they just lost billions of dollars trying to get everybody psyched to wear goggles and hop into the metaverse while his original product was ruining countries all over the world. Mm -hmm. The other one's just spitting out crazy conspiracy theories left and right on Twitter while running it into the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and these two dudes want to fight. Yeah. And e even, even though this was so stupid, Mike, it got dumber. Do you know Andrew Tate? Uh, yeah, he's the, um, Facebook, uh, the, uh, catfish guy who's, um, okay, I guess I don't really quite know. Yeah, you, you got it, you got about as much as I did, right? Because yeah. even Andrew Tate had time to get into this cluster. And since, <laughs> since he did, I was like, well, I guess I gotta see who this guy is. Like, basically, I knew he was an influencer of some sort, and he was in legal trouble. That's mm -hmm. pretty much all I knew about him. And then... I went and, and read about him for 10 minutes, and that was a waste of 10 minutes. And after reading about him, <laughs> I realized why I don't know about a lot about him. It's because we don't really run in the same circles. 
Mm. No offense uh, to Mr. Tate, but his circles seem to have a, a, a lack of sanity pulsing mm. through them. Uh, and, uh, you know, on top of that, Mike, he's facing trial for rape and human trafficking charges. Yeah. But that didn't stop him from tweeting about this upcoming fight. Sweet. You know, he tweeted this, Mike. Meta banned me everywhere for telling the truth about vaccines. But now we can restore honor with a strike at the Klan's leader. I will train you, Elon Musk. You will not lose. (laughs) That was his tweet, Mike. Hmm. And I got a lot of things Mm. about that tweet. First of all, I got to say... If I was on trial for rape and human trafficking, I might be a little preoccupied. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, uh, this this tweet might not be the first thing on my mind. No, nah, this... you'd be trying to get your case together, your <laughs> story. Yeah. That's sort of, I was wondering. I was like thinking, <laughs> was the lawyer, his lawyer like, uh, all right, we got to review these documents they have against you. And he's like, ah, hold on, hold on. I got to get this tweet just right. <laughs> Really want Elon to respond to me on this. Pretty important. Second, Mike, that might be the best endorsement for vaccines I've ever heard. <laughs> if I didn't have my vaccine, which I already do, I probably would have been like, yeah, I should probably go get one since this guy said they're, they're not good. All right, I'll just go check that out. <laughs> Third, I'm not sure what Andy is talking about, uh, but it's not a clan. Nope. It's a social media company. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg didn't ban you. Like you said, Meta banned you. Mark Zuckerberg probably doesn't even know who you are. Nope. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a robot. So why yeah. would he know who you are? Do you, you think he's a robot? I thought he yes. was an alien. Either one. He's a, okay. fr- a frightening man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a hybrid. <laughs> uh, fourth, it's pretty well established that Elon Musk is crazy. But I don't think he's that kind of crazy. Like, yeah. I don't I don't think he's he'd say, hey, I've got a fight coming up with Mark Zuckerberg, and I could literally buy the top 100 best fighting trainers in the world and the cities they live in. But you know what? I should probably get an accused human trafficker that's also a fighter. That sounds good. Huh? That's who I should have trained me. And it turns mm. out, Mike, he's not that type of crazy. Because just no. yesterday... George St. Pierre, former UFC champion, tweeted that he'd like to train Musk. And Musk replied, let's do it. Mm. Yeah. Nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So anyways, Mike, let me reiterate. (laughs) This is the dumbest thing I've heard in a long, long time. They haven't set a date for the fight. Nobody's training for the fight. I'm crossing my fingers that it never happens because it's stupid. Yeah. But, Mike, you know, I'm an optimist. Word. You might not always come through, but I'm an optimist. (laughs) Let me give you a glimmer of hope for this one. I see this as a positive simply because if this many people get excited for the stupidest fight ever, there's still hope that millions of people will get excited for the Doc G show. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? For sure. For sure. Here at the Doc G Show, nobody's fighting. Nope. We don't have any winners. We just got one loser and a mic. Mm-hmm. That's all we got. 
It's a second loser, Doctor. You could say it. No, no I'm not I'll saying say it, Mike. I wasn't dragging you down in it. I wasn't doing it. it. You know what? We may be two losers, Mike, but I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. We have a good time. We do. We do. Are you ready to have a good time? Let's fire up the show, Doc G. Five. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and lift off. Woo! Mike, speaking of a good time, my goodness, do we have a good guest today. My yeah, goodness. We do. And the, yeah, we do. the stars were aligning for this guest, Mike, because I was in Publix getting my grocery shop on mm-hmm. just earlier this week. And as I was getting some blueberries, what do I hear on the public stereo? Matchbox 20. Mm. It's like they knew, Mike. Yeah. They were like, hey, did you know Kyle Cook from Matchbox 20 is coming on the Doc G Show? All right, we got to blast some tunes. We got to do it. And that's what they did, Mike. And that's what we're going to do. That is what we're going to do. We're going to have a fantastic interview with Kyle from Matchbox 20. Kyle Cook, we're going to talk about it all. Uh, I love going back over the first album with Kyle. Just the the feeling of that, you know, Mm -hmm. of Push coming out, of 3 a.m. Just imagining Kyle hearing 3 a.m. for the first time. And you're like, man, that is a jam right there. Mm -hmm. I got to get in this band. It's going to. He knew it. yeah, Yeah. It's a great interview, Mike. But first. We need to start where we start. Birthday suit. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Okay, Mike. Uh, this first one, you got this one. I think I can do this with just a, a one-sentence clue here. Right. Um, now, the other two, probably not going to get. So, we really do need to nail this one. But uh, right now, you're 39 and a quarter out of 72. Cool. Pretty solid. So here we go. Uh, here's your clue, Mike. Fantasy Factory on MTV. Rob Deerdick. Rob Deerdick is correct. Yes. Woo! Woo! Thank All you. right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He's gotten a he's gotten a little bit weirder since he got off the reality shows, but I still love Rob. Yeah. Um, Why do you, you think know, that, Doctor? Why do you think he's got too much time? Like he's one of those guys that can't have. He's always got to do something. Yeah. Like, he is just that, you know, and, like, yeah. now that he has a little bit, just a little bit more time on his hands, he's getting a little too deep in crazy thought, I think, sometimes, mm. you know? Idle hands, that's a mm. problem for him, you know? But, uh, yeah, besides that, like, he's still a great guy. Yeah. Um, born on June 28, 1974, Kettering, Ohio, birthday suit wear, started playing sports at a very young age, picked up skating at 11. Got a sponsorship at that same year from a local skate shop. He turned pro in 91. In 95, DC Shoes started sponsoring him in 2006. He started a reality show called Rob and Big Black. In Mm. 2009, he started a new reality show called The Fantasy Factory. In 2011, he started a clip show called Ridiculousness. Sweet. Rob deered it. Yeah. By, by, like, 2020, Mike, MTV could have changed their name to Ridiculousness 24-7. <laughs> like, like, I mean, that's, like, all it was. Like, literally, you'd turn it over, and it was just yeah reruns of Ridiculousness 24 hours a day. Rob was their only VJ. Um, true fact, Mike, I thought about right around the time I got my Ph.D., 
I thought about um, emailing Rob Deerdick and asking him if he wanted a exercise physiologist in the Fantasy Factory. If mm. he wanted somebody to do tests on him to to see how good he could be as a uh, as a skater, you know, and just to do random, you know, random test in the in the Fantasy Factory because that's what it was all about. You know, I was gonna pitch yeah. it like like sports science that stupid shit do on ESPN. You know, where they'd be like, yeah. "This guy throws the ball as fast as a crocodile closes its jaws." You know, or some what? stupid yeah. crap. <laughs> I thought about doing that, but that'd uh, have been awesome. That would have been an yeah. awesome episode. They would have found know? a way. They would have found a I, way to like Ollie higher. You know, you know there's a something. Yeah. You know, that's what I was thinking. I was gonna, I was gonna come up with that, but uh, I never did. You know, yeah. Mike, Mike, uh, Mike, he's getting ready to turn 50. Hey, he's 49. One more year in the 40s for Rob. One more year. Next year, he will turn the big 5-0 for Rob. Very nice. Happy nice. birthday, Rob. Happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, Mike, are you ready? Going to rip some headlines. Let's rip some headlines. It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Mike, interesting little piece of news from TMZ. Apparently, Prince Harry, uh, you know, back uh, with their um, podcast deal, he had pitched the idea to several producers at Spotify that they should get Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, and Mark Zuckerberg on their podcast. Huh? Not at the same time, but he wanted all uh, of those dudes okay. on their show, on a show. It's like a round table. Well, and cool. he wanted to talk to them about the same thing. He thought they should come on and talk about their traumatic upbringings. Mm, yeah, I'm sure they would love to don't dive into that for sure. First of all, Mike, I don't want to hear any of those turds talk. Nope. Uh, second of all, I mean, I know he's a prince and all, but does... Did he realize how unrealistic getting those folks to talk about that thing <laughs> on a podcast was? Yeah. Like, I can only imagine. Like, that's like when people tell me, like, when I tell them about our show, and they're like, oh, you interview musicians and comedians? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you should get, uh, you know, Paul McCartney? You should get him on the show. That guy from the Beatles? That'd be, <laughs> be pretty good. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I should. I'll go out and get him right now. We'll go go book him. Like, Yeah, that's just like that. Totally doable. Like, Can you imagine the producer just staring at him when he was like, I've been thinking about getting Vladimir Putin on the podcast <laughs> to talk about his uh, childhood. And the, the producer's like, uh, okay. That's a that's a former KGB officer. It's a current ruthless dictator. Oh no, Harry! They're not usually that open <laughs> about talking about their feelings. Oh no! Just, maybe we can find somebody else. Richard Simmons. That seems like an mm. easier get. You want to try that one? I'd listen. I don't know. That. He's pretty. Uh, he's well, kind of, there's a lot of mystery. Radar, right? Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of mystery. You know, but that's one I'd listen to, Mike. Yeah, for tell, sure. me too. You telling me Harry Styles and and Richard Simmons are going to get their talk on? I'm there. 
I yeah. am there. Mike, moving on, Harry Styles, right? That guy, he's a thinker. <laughs> yeah, he is yeah. a thinker, and I'll tell you why he's a thinker. He was doing a concert in Wales the other night, and uh, in between songs, he's chatting, as he often does. He likes to chat to the audience. Mm-hmm. And um, a lady who's pregnant lets him know that she wants him to name her baby. And as he's thinking, uh, because they're English, she says, I need to wee. Huh? She literally told him she needs to wee, as in urinate, Mike. There's no. <laughs> yeah. More. Such a polite way to it's, say that. I was, it's, well, it's such a polite two-year-old way of saying it. I mean, no yeah. offense, British folks, but I go wee? for a wee. Yeah, yeah. it just uh, makes you sound like you're two. Anyways... <laughs> Uh, he, uh, as he's thinking, she says she needs to wee, and he's like, well, you need to wee. Well, then uh, go for it. We'll wait. Hmm. Because he's such a caring and loving dude, he tells her to go to the bathroom, and of course, not surprisingly, the whole crowd goes bananas, you know? Yes! And I was, I was thinking about it, Mike, and I was like, now, I do think Harry Styles is a, a fairly caring person. I do think that is fairly generous. But, you know... Regardless of that, let's say that's a veteran move right there, Mike. Like, he is playing chess, not checkers with that. Just think about all hmm. the positives about that. He doesn't have to sing. He can just hang out for the whole time she's perform- like she's using the bathroom. Yeah, yep. Two, he knows 97% of his audience is female, so he knows every single one of them would instantly love it. If it were a bunch of dudes, they'd be insensitive <laughs> like me, and they'd be like, what are you waiting for? Tell her to <laughs> get off the stage. We want to see you sing. We don't care about her using the bathroom. Like, you know, we want to hear some music. Get it, Harry. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, third, he gets to name the kid. This kid is going to be forever linked to Harry Styles, anything that he did, and he didn't have to be the dad. All, mm. all he had to do was, was wait two minutes for her to pee. And now forever in the future, whenever he brings up his name, they're going to be like, uh, who are you named after? A family member? Uh, Harry Styles. He named me at a concert forever. That's it. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah that would be awesome. Harry Styles. thinker, thinker. Uh, by the way, they named uh, Caleb. They're going to name the kid Caleb. Caleb. He, did a, he did a crowd survey. You know, he, uh, by applause, what name do you think's the best? They went with Caleb. Caleb. Caleb, very British. Nicely done. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you've heard about Kevin Costner these days. He's been in the news a pretty good amount. Yeah. He, he's uh, his, he, he's getting a divorce. Yeah, he's getting a divorce. Yeah. Yes. I it's, been a, see it, that. it's gotten a little tad, it's a tad messy. Yeah. It's a little messy. Uh, his ex-wife, Christine Baumgartner, Baumgartner uh, divorced him. She divorced him, apparently. Uh, after 18 years of marriage. Uh, they've got three kids, 15, 14, and 13. Um, now, Christine apparently is a little bit steamed at Kevin uh, outside of this whole divorce thing. She's steamed with him because apparently after they got divorced, he told their three kids that they were getting a divorce on a 10-minute Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I heard this, and I was like, man, father of the year right there. 
Huh? <laughs> hey guys, I'm glad you could uh, make it to my Zoom. Um, <laughs> He's got like a tropical background. That's I wanted to say, Mike. I hope he went <laughs> sorry, with the sorry, sorry, sorry. he went with the fake background. You guys, uh, I'm in I'm in Hawaii. Hey, huh? Uh, look at that! Like just like, what did he say? Like uh, your mom and me. Yeah, that's not gonna work. Nope. Um. So yeah, I really hope uh, you guys turn out all right. But uh, you got my number if you need anything. So, all right. Yeah. Okay. See you later. Uh, hold on. Where's the click? I don't. How do I get out of this Zoom, guys? Can you help me? <laughs> I just. Oh my God, that's just so great, Mike. Zoom. Yeah, it is. Zoom. You'd think Zoom. at least it'd be like FaceTime with them individually, but Zoom. Like it just makes hmm. me think he's got like a desktop and he's sitting there like, hold on. Got to get back on the old set here at Yellowstone, guys. All right, I'll see you later. Um, Mike, you remember Jackie O? Jackie Onassis? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Former first lady. Mm -hmm. Wife to JFK. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just like most things, Mike, uh, people are still fascinated with her. You know, oh yeah, just mm -hmm. like things, anything associated with Kennedy, you gotta gotta dig deep into that kind of stuff. And uh, she passed away in '94. It's been a you know a long, long time ago. Uh, but still a book coming out. J. Randy Tabarelli uh, has a new book coming out titled uh, "Jackie: Public Private Secret." Sweet. Hmm. And in the book, there's a whole bunch of comments and stories uh, from the former first lady. <clears throat> and one of those, uh, of those stories that came out before the release of the book was about Warren Beatty. Hmm. You know Warren? Yeah. Heartthrob, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, that guy was just a, a sex machine, you know? Yeah. Just looked really good. He played Dick Tracy in the 90s, had a little comeback oh, yeah, there. Oh, was Dick Tracy. He had a, wasn't there a movie like President, like he was the President yeah. of the United States? Yeah. What was that movie? Do you remember? I forget the name of it, but. It was a I, comedy, I think. I know exactly. Bullworth. Funny, yeah. There you go. Bullworth, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, he's super Casanova, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Jackie O actually dated him. Back in the late seventies, after JFK was assassinated, uh, that was you know she was it was you know uh, one one yeah once she had mourned and everything, uh, it was fairly a big deal of whoever she dated because she was such a big deal you know, um, yeah. and when she was asked, this is from the book Mike, when she was asked privately about how Warren Beatty was in bed, she said, "quote Oh, he's fine." Huh. Men can only do so much anyway. End quote. <laughs> uh, what a bummer for Warren Beatty. Yeah. This dude's That's... still alive. Mm. You dated this lady 50 years ago. She's She's been dead for 30 years. And you're just hanging out. Like, I can imagine he's just cruising around CVS looking for a fiber <laughs> supplement, you know, mm -hmm. and some CVS attendants like, hey, so Jackie O said you sucked in bed. Wait, what? Is that, that true? And you're like, what? 
No. Uh, I, I was awesome in bed and you know, like it just like, what do you <laughs> she do? She was average. Yeah, exactly. What do you do? Like just something he hasn't even thought about for 45 years. But also, what does she do? She can't be like, oh, the best I've ever had. Like, really? Like, you can't. Well, really- you could have <laughs> just left it out of the book. That's the thing. That's I blame it a little bit on the old author there. But, like, I mean, that's yeah. like, you know, that's like somebody coming up to you, Mike Charette, and being like, hey, you know, uh, uh, Brittany Tanner, she released a tell-all book about how you sucked at being <laughs> a second grader. Just thought uh, you should know that. And you're like, whoa, hey, come hey. on. I didn't need that in my life, Brittany. Totally I was young. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Like, I didn't have a lot of experience. <laughs> Brittany, uh, listeners, if you're unaware, if you haven't listened to the show in the past couple of months, Brittany Tanner was one of the hottest girls in Mike's elementary school experience. Huge crush. Yeah. yeah. Big, big, big time. I don't know what she's doing now, but Brittany, if you're listening. Uh, she's got five kids. Uh, oh, she does. She, uh, checked she, it out on five Facebook. Five yeah, kids? She's got five kids. Five. Jeez. Yeah, five she's, is she married? She's married. Okay. Same guy, okay. five kids. All right. Well, I, I was about to say, Mike, you know, I, I was about to put myself out there. I was like, hey, Mike may be in a committed relationship, but I'm available, Brittany Tanner. If, oh, uh, God. Please don't check out Brittany Tanner, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Well, actually, no, no her name changed. She no, changed her name. No she offense to Brittany, but life has been tough. <laughs> Life is a great tough. person. No, she's doing great. No, like she uh, ultimate goals like in terms of like she's got five kids, but it's like a healthy looking like mm. situation, you know. Everything going right for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Un- looks great. Unlike Good the Doc her. G show. Good for her. Um yeah. Mike Nick Cannon. You know Nick? Oh yeah. He speaking of kids. Twelve. 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 <laughs> And recently he was on a podcast and he talked about pursuing, jokingly a little bit, I mean, he's he's doing higher education, but he talked about pursuing a PhD in child psychology. Hmm. He said, yeah, that'll come in handy. I'm in that conversation every day. Um, and I got to say, you know, he doesn't need, Nick. Nick doesn't need a PhD in psychology, Mike. He just needs to call up Kevin Costner. You know? Oh, yeah. Get a little parenting advice. Mm. You're, you're telling me your kids aren't listening? Say set up a 10-minute, maybe 15-minute <laughs> Zoom with them. You know? Just make sure everybody knows what's going down. When you're talking, they've got their mutes on. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's how it works. Yeah. Kevin Costner advice. <laughs> uh, Mike, little TB news. Little T, our, our show's best friend. He's back. Yeah. Mr. Brady, Tom Brady. He's been on vacay, Mike. Oh? I don't know if you saw this. It's uh, it's what you do when you're a 45-year-old retired megastar multimillionaire. You know? Mm-hmm. You go on uh, vacation, and not only do you go on vacation, you go uh, around Greece on a massive yacht. Oh, yeah. And you That's do different do water sports. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, as TMZ puts it, Mike, he's been, this is literally how they they wrote it. He's been sporting a wetsuit most of the time, but when he's back on the yacht, he'll pop the top off. Huh? (laughs) They literally use the words, pop the top off, Mike. Pop the top off. And they said, quote, the dude looks 
pretty shredded. Mmm. And he did, Mike. I saw it. He's looking, yeah. He's he's looking tasty, everybody. He's looking good. Good for him. He's keeping the bod tight. Still, yeah. I guess he's still following the diet and whatnot. You know. Still thinking about coming back into the league, maybe. Maybe at the age of fifty. You know, 40, <laughs> 45 wasn't a challenge enough. He was like half century. That's when I'm going to do it. That's what I'm going to do it. Mike, what do you want to hear before we go to break? Do you want to hear the story about our friend Leo? Or do you want a little story on micro cheating? Hmm. Mm, micro cheating. Okay. Interesting. I don't know what that is, but I'm. Okay. I'm, I'm what, Mike, what micro treating. Uh, Mike. Micro cheating is trending on TikTok. Oh, shit. yes, yes. Alicia Munoz, a relationship counselor, defines micro cheating as the act of cultivating in small ways inappropriate intimate connections outside of your relationship. That's a fact. Mm hmm. Now, the issue, Mike, is uh, that folks are debating what counts as micro-cheating. You know? Can't decide whether or not it's actually micro-cheating. So, folks are asking, uh, is liking a post to someone attractive who's not your partner a micro-cheat? You know, is, mm. that, is that a cheat? Is that a cheat? So there's a lot of questions out there, Mike. Now, I'm going to zag where people are zigging. All right? <laughs> okay. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here, and I'm going to say we all are aware that doing a ton of LSD is bad, right? Yeah. You're going to go on some horrible trips. Don't know mm -hmm. what is going to happen there. But I've heard a ton of positives about micro-dosing LSD. Ooh, good right? point. Yeah. Maybe cheating's a little bit of the same way, you know? Mm. Yeah. I'm just saying, just a little bit every now and then, <clears throat> it rekindles the passion of the relationship. You're like, why'd I do that? I got to go back with my lady. Or I got to go mm -hmm. back with my dude. You know, just a little yeah. bit. Just to rekindle the fires at home, you know? Mm. Yeah. The important thing to remember, listeners, don't be revolted by my suggestions because it doesn't matter because no girl wants to come near me anyways. So just... <laughs> Don't worry. That will never be taken into effect with the micro-cheating, Mike. But we are going to take a break. Bro. We are going to be pulling out one of Matchbox 20's great files from the history books. This is Real World right here on the Doc G Show. Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Mike, what do the listeners need to do? Hmm. Well, Doc G, if the listeners feel like the show is a positive way to waste their time, they should please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts. It's a cost-effective way 
to support the show. And if they are feeling extra generous, please leave us a five-star review and leave us a comment. We love comments. Also, hey, never mentioned this, Doc G. Follow us on social media. Doc mm -hmm. G is at the Doc G Show. Mm -hmm. I'm at Mike Charette. Mm -hmm. Good luck spelling my last name. <laughs> I'm not gonna. -E -T -T -E. I was about to say. I, yeah. was, I like how you're like. Good luck spelling my last name. Well, I could spell it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's not that. It's not that hard, but yeah, it's French. You just got. So. You just got to do the doubles. You just got to do the doubles and make sure there's an e at the end. Yes. Yeah. And you got to do that. Um, yeah. Mike, uh, I will mention along with that, uh, listeners, uh, if you would like. Uh, to check out, I'm going to just, uh, I'm dipping my toe, listeners, mm. into Spotify. Say what? So if you would like to listen to the interview with Kyle Cook that we got coming up on the show, but you would like to listen to it with all of the full songs that we talk about, both Matchbox 20 and other bands that we discuss, you can listen to it on uh, Spotify. It will be there. Mm, Look it yeah. up. It'll be there. Uh, I mean, this this interview is going to have uh, Guns N' Roses on it. It's going to have um, Counting Crows on it. It's going to have Goo Goo Dolls on it. It's going to have Matchbox 20 on it. So it's going to be good. Sweet. It's a it's a fantastic. And now if if we get a if we get a good response on Spotify, I'm not expecting anything overwhelming. But I might put the whole uh, the the whole shows on there. You know. This is just the foot right now, listeners. Yeah, just trying it out. This is just the foot. If it, if, if, if it feels good, if the bath water feels good, I'm <laughs> jumping all the way in. All right? Yeah. I'm jumping all the way in. But don't worry, listeners. Unless we get, like, millions of, of, of listens, you will not hear me say an ad. I don't know, Mike. I just, oh, God, I hate him. I hate him so much. <laughs> When I'm listening to a podcast, and, and yeah, well, especially the ones that the actual podcast hosts read. Like, mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, dude, stop it. Stop it. Like, it's either just lackluster or they put way too much into it. Either way, I don't like it. Not I just Bill don't Burr. Like he doesn't try at all. He, well, I yeah. think I, I haven't well, actually listened to how he does his ads, but he he's like, yeah, this is a bunch of bull if you want to buy it. <laughs> I'm surprised the people still give me money for it, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh. Anyways, listeners, if you want to hear the tunes with it, check it out. That's uh, It's going to be on Spotify. Uh, okay. Mike, we need to thank the folks that are already re listening regularly that we, we adore. Do. Uh, we do. The five-star listeners. Here we go. Shout out. Shout out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Radford, Virginia, Gainesville, Florida, Frankfurt, Germany, Anoka, Minnesota, Ashburn, Virginia, Piracai, Brazil, San Diego, California, Dublin, Ireland, Boardman, Oregon, Genoa, Italy, Richardson, Texas, Barcelona, Spain, Winfield, West Virginia, Biloxi, Mississippi, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Pay, Oreo, Illinois, Katy, Texas, Toms River, New Jersey, Olive Branch, Mississippi, Nashville, North Carolina, Los Angeles, California, Spartanburg, South Carolina, Athens, Georgia, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so close, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and of course, home. Of the Jade Chips. Oh, yeah. Chicago, Illinois. Yes. Thank you. Now, Mike, very important. Uh, we all know the last group on the regulars, Chicago, Illinois, 
home of the jade chips. I've been saying jade chips for the last, I don't know, two months, something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I ordered some jade chips. I sent them your way. You have a review. Give us the verdict on jade chips. Yeah. Okay. So, Doctor, I did mention that uh, before we started the show, but I feel bad because you haven't you haven't received your J chips. I it's feel like right. we should compare and contrast. No. 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 I want to okay. hear your review right now. I want to give the listeners All the right. mic. Sure. I trust you've been testing pies for a good while now. I trust your food palate. We want to hear the review of the J chips. The the, All right. the listeners need to know. Okay. So I tried the J chips. I tried the hot stuff, and mm-hmm. I tried the regular. And I got to say, they're just like every other chip that I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, no, I'm just what? They're, they're quite delicious. Um, okay. They, You know what I like about them the most okay. compared to like regular Jay's chips compared to regular Lay's chips? Uh-huh. Jay's chips, way crunchier. A lot Ooh. more. Lot, uh, it's a thicker chip. So it's, okay. you have a, it's a crunchier experience. I will say... You got a little um, more tater in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The okay. hot stuff, not too hot. You know, I mean, maybe I, you know, hot heat is a uh, very uh, subjective. Um, oh, yeah. A little so, spice, but it brought you yeah. back. But yeah, it was nice. But, uh, you know, I, I got to say, Doc G, um, I did get a stomach ache after eating the hot stuff Jay's chips. Um, oh. But, you know, I figure out a way to alleviate it. Uh, it's by eating them one at a time and not just putting handfuls of them in my, in my mouth. Uh, all at once. So, yeah. I don't, just eat I, don't, them. I don't know if I can do one chip, though. That's... Yeah, it's tough, you know, but uh, I had I was doing a lot uh, at once, and uh, it was it was, uh, it was was messing that, with my tummy, but it was that's, overall that's 10, 10 chips, out of 10. Though. Yeah. That's what yeah. you do with chips, man. Oh, my gosh. You can get... Mike, I, while you were reviewing, I wanted to go look at some pictures of J-Chips. And I could I could buy a vintage J chip t- a tin. <laughs> you can get a tin from old school J chips. They used to come in tins. Hmm. They came in tins all the way up until '98. I could get a '98 J's tin. Wow, that's cool. Who's, who's eating chips out of a tin from '98? <laughs> that's wild, Mike. <laughs> That is why I want to get a J10 now. I want to put it right here. Mm. I want to put my J10 right here so people I could get a 1986 10 Mike. This the, the uh, what do you think uh what do you think a J10 is going for these days? Oh, so they don't actually sell sell it on like their website or No, no, no. This is uh this is an eBay. They're eBay and us uh mm. you're you're getting vintage <laughs> Vintage stock here. Obviously, it does not include the actual chips. Just hmm. oh, okay, I see it. Just um, the well, tin. I was gonna guess like fifty bucks, but yeah, it looks like you can get them between eighteen and sixty dollars. Depends on what kind you want. You know, depends yeah. on what what year you're looking for the and the quality of mm. tin. But yeah. uh, I'm thinking I might. Uh, here's one. Here's one. You got one from way back in the day. This is a 40s to 60s tin. Mm. That's the kind I want. I want the real classic tin, man. Sweet. Got quoted very, very nice, very nice <clears throat> condition. Some small dents and scratches, but graphics are good. Smoke free. Thank God mm. nobody smoked on this tin. <laughs> Jesus, I would not uh. want it if somebody smoked on that tin. 
Anyways. The they do look good. The 10 does look good. Nice vintage look. Not bad, Mike. I'll put it right here. Maybe I'll drink out of it, you know? Just, ah, just yeah. a giant tin just drinking well, somebody out Somebody use uh, it as a garbage can, too. You could, uh, the, a an teeny one. Just yeah. little things a to throw in little. there. <laughs> uh, Mike, we need to thank the uh, the re the semi-regs, the four-star yes, listeners. Yes, we uh, do. Here we go. We got some interesting ones here. Uh, Shout out. We've got uh, Portland, Maine. Shout out to Portland, Maine. Uh, shout out to uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Sao Paulo. Uh, Colombia, uh, the country. Uh, that was one of those weird ones. Sometimes they don't come up with an actual place. Colombia. There you go. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. There we go. San Antonio, Texas. Alma, Colorado. San Ramon, California. Fairford, England. Manhattan, New York. Sydney, Australia, Queens City, Charlotte, North Carolina, San Jose, California, uh, Cajazeras, uh, Brazil, Cajazeras, nice. Brazil, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Blida, Algeria, uh, Sao Domingos de Rana, Portugal. Yes, there we go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Getting some Portia, Portuguese listeners there from, from Brazil and Portugal. Shout out. Yes. Yeah. To both. Both. Man, Brazil, just multiple places. We got Piracai, we got uh, we got Cajazeras, we got uh, Sao Paulo. Looks like it's a live show, Mike. Yeah, there we Looks go. Looks like we're headed to Brazil. Brazil. Uh, also, Mike, I didn't mention, uh, they're in the four-star listeners. Uh, I should have mentioned them on that group. Boynton, Virginia. Mm. And Boynton, Virginia, they've been up there for several weeks now. So, they're looking to take that newbie spot from Chicago, Illinois. Uh-oh. Uh, Boynton, Boynton doesn't have any chips that I know of. So, <laughs> I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to do some digging, find out what we can find as far as uh, notable things of Boynton, Virginia, Mike. Mm. Uh, Mike... Uh, I did leave one uh, story on the table, but you know what? Nah, let's get to the interview. We're uh, we'll, we'll save that story. We're going to get to the interview. We got a fantastic interview. Kyle Cook from Matchbox 20 here on the Doc G Show right when we get back. Because sometimes you need something playing in the background. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on 99.5 FM, Spinnaker. This is 95.5 Spinnaker Radio. WSKRLPFM, UNF Jacksonville. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we are very excited to have a terrific guitarist, songwriter, and musician. He is the lead guitarist for Matchbox 20, who has a new album out, Where the Light Glo Goes. They will be in Jacksonville 
on July 5th, Mr. Kyle Cook. Kyle, how are you, sir? Man, I'm doing great. Yeah. I am uh, I am sitting on a, a vibrating bus, <laughs> as, as one often does in mm-hmm. between uh, shows. Mm-hmm. I don't get hotels anymore, so I'm just... Uh, I'm just chilling in Cleveland, man. Ready, you know, waiting to talk to the people of Cleveland. Debating whether or not I'm going to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because oh. I've never gone. Mm. And I feel it feels, it feels a bit tragic, actually. There's been some recent, you know, some, some great recent inductees in the Hall of Fame. Yes, there has been. You know, I, I, what, Pat Benatar was in that last group. There were, there were a lot of good ones there. Yeah, which I've gotten to know her and Neil over the years because I do I do some side work with a guy named John Waite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we, we opened up, he's opened up for her several times. He's had me out to play guitar uh, within the last couple of years. Nice. So I was I was very happy to see her. She's, she's amazing. She is. She I mean, is. Well, now, uh, so heading to Cleveland, you've already played several shows on this tour. And uh, yeah. I noticed... You you recently, just a couple of nights ago, and it's funny because we were talking about it before we came on air here. Um, you you played Ball Arena, home of the Denver yeah. Nuggets, and you best believe that you came out wearing a Bruce Brown yeah. jersey. Now, yeah, were you catering to the Denver folks, or are you a Den- uh, Bruce Brown and Denver Nuggets fan? Well, I can't take credit for the, the selection of the Bruce Brown. Okay, okay. Jersey, uh, okay. But my kids live in Denver and have lived in Denver, uh, as well as my ex-wife for the last three or four years. So, the love I love basketball, mm-hmm. and uh, my love for the Nuggets is real in that way. Mm. Uh, because, well, you know, from an underdog perspective, even though they're like, an amazing team, right? Uh, for you know, from a talent perspective, they're not the underdog. Yeah. But for a franchise that that you know for the entire the entirety of its existence hasn't won a championship, um, I think all of those things included, it's like I don't need to see the Heat get another set of the rings, you know. So yeah, it, it's genuine. Nice. To answer your question, it's, yeah. Nice. But I didn't shoot the brown jersey. We, we got off stage and I was sweaty and. People were, were handing me jerseys going, do you want to wear this? You should do it. You know, and I'm like, yeah, of course. They're like, why didn't I think of that? They get- it actually wasn't my idea. So I got to give credit to uh, our crew for that. Nice. Nice. G- gave you the Bruce Brown. I can't complain. I'm a University of Miami alumni, and Bruce went to uh, Miami. So shout out oh, to Bruce. Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah, shout out to Bruce. Get yeah. it done. Um, Good role player for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, also, I think it's really cool that, you know, what was it, the um, – the, First time that a duo's gotten a triple double. Oh yeah, uh, together in one game. Was that the record that was just set by Jokic and? Uh, I want to say uh, first thirty point triple double by a duo. Uh, first thirty point. First, I'm sorry. First thirty point triple double. Yeah, there you go. In, insane. Yeah, I mean the thing is there was a perfect analogy. I heard another you know talking head talk about. Uh, Jokic, and it was perfect for me because it is one of those things that you're always just amazed at Jokic at how uh, unathletic he looks, but how amazing he is. Right. And right. somebody made the uh, the analogy of the basketball coach of a rec league team when a couple of the players from the team don't show up, and so the coach has to scrimmage 
with the players. And so you got the yeah. old guy that's like a foot and a half taller than all the kids. And like he just, oh, right, right. he only, you know, he only shoots when he has to. He's like, all right, all right, they're not guarding me. I'll shoot it. Okay. Right. Like that's <laughs> what he looks like when he plays. Like he's so just far that's- in advance of everybody else. It's like he's just saying. He reminds there. me of like he reminds me of Tim Duncan a little bit. Oh yeah, um, in that way. Oh yeah. Um, whereas obviously Tim's a fantastic athlete, but I, I don't know maybe visually. Uh, yeah, like physique wise, even doesn't necessarily add up to somebody that you know you would expect to be so dominating. He uh, in that position, but he yeah. loves. He actually he loves uh, Tim Duncan. That's like you know when people bring so, up so, like so you actually want to. See- you actually want to see Miami win? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I. So at the beginning of the season, I predicted that the Clippers and the Bucks would be in the finals. And whenever I make a prediction, I'm like, I want to see that happen. And then when that didn't happen, I was like, yeah, all right, let's see what goes on. Right. You know. So I mean, I, got you. I yeah. mean, it's it. You know, I love Jimmy Butler. Uh, it was. I mean, and I've yeah. I've loved his continual impressive performance and then beating the Bucks and then beating the Celtics. But like I mean they got hit they got hit by the Nuggets who just seem to be playing a lot better. Yeah. Well, with the the has got injuries and someone else I was reading. Oh yeah. Um so they're hero yeah, they're, they're 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 not they're not running all the cylinders, you know. Oh, 100%. Um, well, now- you know, that's an interesting segue to music, though, Jimmy Butler, because um, I read an ESPN article um, about his love of rock music and country music. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I find that interesting in the sense that culturally and socially, you don't see... Um, it's just rare to see... Um, a black player, mm-hmm. uh, such a high-profile black athlete who's so uh, openly uh, a fan of particularly country music, mm-hmm. and I, I see that as a, as a bit of a because uh, you know a lot of the white uh, music listeners listen to hip hop, mm-hmm. right? So it's like there's music has that power to sort of uh you know reach over these um cultural norms and him you know him sort of being that open about that i thought i found that to be one of the most striking things in the last um three or four years in you know athletics and music uh because that to me that's 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 hope that you know people are going to listen to things because they they like it and not feel like it just has to be um which is normal when you're younger to sort of follow in step in lockstep with whatever the people around you are listening to. For sure. Well, I, I think, I do think there's, you know, there's some, uh, there is some influence obviously where he grew up, uh, growing up outside of Houston, you know, has, has, has the letting that environment go in. But I like, I do, I'm like yourself as far as I, I like how he, you know, makes makes the decision of this he doesn't doesn't feel influenced by by folks around him as far as uh what what he's into um right right exactly yeah i I think that was yeah i mean on 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 that tip as far as being influenced 
I was looking at your your uh, your website, and I noticed on yeah. there growing up you were sort of in the violin uh, classical side of things, and then I saw yeah. on your uh, website it was Appetite for Destruction that really brought you over yeah. to rock. Uh, That's exactly right. Yeah, um, yeah, lots to talk about there. I uh, I first started playing violin uh-huh. uh, at like. I don't know, 10 or 11. Uh, fortunately, in the, the school system, and I grew up in rural Indiana, uh, about an hour north of uh, Indianapolis, a town mm-hmm. called Frankfurt. And um, we had a great music department. And not only do we have a great music department, we had a great music teacher. Now, I, I was uh, Miss Priest. Uh, Janet Priest was her name. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was already starting to hear music in a, you know, in a way that I felt was uh, maybe a little unusual. Like I, I was starting to, uh, I didn't have any formal training and mm-hmm. I would listen to pop songs and stuff on, you know, in car rides from the radio and I would sort of retain it. Mm-hmm. And my mom had the piano, still has the piano. She also plays and is very good. Um, I would just sit and, and pick out pop songs on the piano just by ear. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's kind of started there. And then because in elementary school, it was like, you know, hey, you can join orchestra. It was just one of those, it was just kind of an arbitrary decision, really. Like, oh yeah, I'll, you know, I'll play an instrument, right? Yeah. I, I started playing violin, was not good, um, in my opinion. There never was a first chair player. I still, I can't, uh, and this is important, specific, the vibrato, that it, the creating vibrato on a violin is very different than a guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a circular motion. It's not, you're not bending the string really. You're just, you, you know, you're rotating on the string. Um, could never do that still to this day, cannot figure it out. Um, whatever the muscle memory thing is. And so I'd say about two, three years into doing this, um, I asked, I started, started playing guitar and I asked, uh, Janet if, if I could not play violin and if I, she could find a way for me to play guitar with the orchestra and she mm-hmm. did nice and so to her credit that was that was that was a big thing because um at that point i started to, to to feel as though hey this is something that actually could be a lifelong pursuit mm-hmm. but i didn't really know it was gonna be a lifelong pursuit until guns and roses happened nice you see what i'm saying yeah and then i was like okay <laughs> you know slash the sweet child of mine particularly sweet child of mine do you remember like, the first time you heard I don't it? Want to do. Yeah, from the first time I heard it. And, you know, and it might have helped that they were from Indiana or Axel was. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to remember uh, a couple of the other guys in the band were from Indiana. I don't think Slash was. I think Izzy um, was. Izzy was. That's right. So they were famously Hoosier. Mm-hmm. So that added a little bit to the appeal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, being a 13 year old kid that just wants to get laid, I mean, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, playing acoustic guitar in the back of the, you know, symphony. Yeah. Just wasn't going to get it done. <laughs> I wanted to be Slash. That was the goal. So, yeah, so that was that was the transition. But I took all of that classical knowledge. And my, my father, um, I know I'm going droning on about this, but my dad, who's um, has just been a very intellectual force in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, very well-read individual. He has a deep appreciation for the arts and for classical music in particular. He used to, he would take me to the symphony when I was a kid 
and still to this day tells me these stories about me falling asleep and walking up the aisle thinking it was over because everyone was applauding and it wasn't over and he had to like bring me <laughs> back to the seat you know um so yeah he was a guy that was always like you know do the rock and roll thing but understand the masters he always wanted me to understand the masters meaning mozart bach beethoven and i do and to this day that's still particularly mozart is music that you know to borrow a billy joel phrase you know i listen to it and it just stones me man mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. just so perfectly you know created architecturally it's almost like architecture mm -hmm. it's almost like musical architecture so that that framework um I try to take when we go into the studio and make what we feel to be rock and pop records. I try to take some of that knowledge, and I think it does translate, especially on this new record. Uh, at least on my song, uh, I know better. Mm -hmm. You know, from the very beginning, you hear this kind of trill piano that's yeah. sort of like Mozartian, and it's meant to be um, kind of a nod to that. Nice, a very overt kind of nod to it. You know. Well, shout out, shout out to Janet. And shout out to your dad there. Yeah, right. That. Get that. It's always yeah, it's always good to hear from uh, you know uh, band directors that try to find ways to facilitate music in kids, even if it's not the the thing that they were thinking originally. You know, they try to they try, agree. try to get what the kid wants to do and say, okay, well, they want to play guitar. All right, I'll try to figure out a way to get this in here. Right, and then like, and, and maybe even try to find a way to apply that to curriculums overall. Yeah, I mean that that goes that goes into what I was gonna ask next. I mean, so after high school, you ended up going uh, to the Atlanta Institute of Music. Um, That's right. And I've I've heard you mention it. I think I think it's on your website too that you said that it was because of an ad on Guitar World magazine. And how about that? It's well, well, I mean, you know, that was the thing I was going to say is, like, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, man, how random. But then at the same time, I was like, you know what? I think he actually put more thought into that than, like, 99% of the high schoolers out there now. Because most high schoolers are just like, oh, I graduated. I need, I need a college degree. What college looks cool? Oh, that one looks cool. Let's go with that. Yeah, well, I agree with that. Or my parents went to Ohio State, so I go to Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah, and so, or in my my oldest daughter's in my oldest daughter's uh, case, my boyfriend's going to UT, so I'm going to UT. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably not. So, ugh, that's 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 risky, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't follow your high school. Uh, you know, no, mm -mm. your high school relationship to you know, the college of choice. But yeah, no, Atlanta. It was random. Um, obviously, the internet's not really not a thing mm -hmm. at this time mm -hmm. um i'm 18 mm -hmm. like age 17 18 there was a place called git in los angeles git was a very popular place for guitar players um and obviously guitar was a very uh popular instrument in popular music at that time mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so aim which was the atlanta institute of music was kind of a spinoff one of the guys from git which was much more recognizable, had, you know, uh, branched off and started sort of an East Coast version of that, which was the one in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so that seemed a little more attractive because it was, I wasn't sure if Los Angeles was, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I was ready to be welcome to the jungle. 
Um, so Atlanta seemed like a little bit more of a, a you know, quick jaunt down the, the, the southeast coastline mm-hmm. and uh, a little closer to home, but, you know, a new environment. And that turned out to be great, man. Honestly, I mean, I would have never discovered jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, as I said, I was very classically trained. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the thing about uh, Western classical music is the harmony can get very predictable mm-hmm. after a while. You know what I mean? Like we all, and that's um, part of the formality of like the the arrangement. Mm-hmm. Jazz is this very unleashed um, st- form of music, and I would I would argue one of the coolest things, if not the coolest thing, that America as a country has ever ever produced. You know, jazz in Atlanta at that time um, was something. Jazz just wasn't something I was exposed to. So learning the chord possibilities and the what you know chromatic, uh, which are basically all the, the sort of half-step movements in between all of the chords and the melodies and you know which really gives us blues when we have this moment where we can have a major chord and a minor note over a major chord mm-hmm. we create this tension that's what we perceive as blues and that comes from jazz and so like I that was a really wonderful experience for me and I think it was just the perfect thing for me to kind of that was sort of the cherry on top of my education to then meet someone like Rob and the guys who were writing these really simple kind of folk songs, really catchy, very memorable uh, folk songs that needed, uh, you know, needed some adornment mm-hmm. musically. Mm-hmm. And I think I was in the right mindset to be the guy to really kind of do that, which I think is more, uh, or to help do that, which is more evident, I think, on the Mad Season album, the second album particularly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, now, uh, you, so that was a certificate program at uh, the Atlanta Institute. Knight Driscoll, who's the, the president, the guy that you said came over. Yeah. Um, he, he, I don't think it was Knight, actually, that came over. Oh, okay. I don't think it was Knight. It was, he ended up acquiring the schools and another guy, and I cannot think of his name, but I think Knight, they were partners. So, gotcha. Sorry, go ahead. But well, so Knight refers you to Matt Serletic, who's the the future producer of the first Matchbox Twenty. Well, all of the Matchbox Twenty albums except for the new one. When Knight told you about the opportunity, when he you know when he brought up this, hey, I've got this band that you should you should audition for. Um, yeah. Did you believe it was like a a real chance at a great band, or was or were you just like, yeah, something goofy? I'm gonna do. We'll see. You know, um, I I was uh, because of one song, mm. and I, I've been very very public about that. Um, Three a.m. I felt was a brilliant song, and I was I I, I had a feeling at the time um, when you had Mr. Jones. Mm. I had a very specific feeling about it. Honestly, I mean, you know, you had a time when songs like Mr. Jones mm-hmm. were everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and you know, that America, the, a feeling of something a little more Americana mm-hmm. was kind of in the air, mm-hmm. kind of post grunge. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a real feeling about 3 a.m. being recorded in the right way at the right time, uh, released by the right label. You know what I mean? I, I felt like that. But that's, but at that time, that's, that's really the only thing I was interested in. So, um, you know, all the other songs that ended up being 
uh, I think literally every other song that makes up yourself or someone like you are now our, you know, still uh, our reigning um, 13 platinum um, achievement were written after 3 a.m. So uh, it turned out that, you know, every all the other songs on that demo just kind of got ditched. We kept 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. and Rob, in a, I mean, really a furious pace of what I would call just, you know, laser-focused writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wrote Push, Back to Good, Real World, all those other singles, Long Day. I mean, like, in, in a burst of inspiration. I mean, I, you know, to this day, it's still astonishing for me. When it's I, really it. Well, I, I heard, like, as far as you getting this, this job, getting, you know, in the band... That, that Matt actually in the process bought you a, a guitar. Uh, yeah, which it, I still use. Yeah, nice. I still use. So that's what we recorded 3 a.m. That's what we recorded the majority of that first album on. Nice, nice. I was gonna, I was gonna it's ask a, if you yeah, still had 19, it. Yeah, of course. It's a, it's a 1979 Les Paul Custom. Um, if you come to the show, um, you, you, you'll see it. I play it probably about half the set. It's a beautiful guitar. It's a heavy. I didn't have, I was broke. See, that was an interesting time. I mean, Matt, and I'll always be very thankful to Matt because he believed in uh, what I was doing. He believed in my, you know, um, addition to the band and what it could do so much that he was just like, man, I can't have you, I can't have you come down and play, you know, audition with these guys, you know, with that. Well, actually, I think I did audition with my guitar, but once we got going, um, and we started talking about booking some club shows because I don't even think we were signed at that point yet. Honestly, we we would do a couple club shows. He was like, "Man, I can't, I can't let you, you know, uh, play." I didn't remember. It was like a Kramer or like I'm trying to remember what the name of the guitar. Hamer. It was a piece. Of <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, I was like working at UPS, going to school. You know what I mean? Like it was like. So yeah, he bought me. A, you know, he probably he threw down. $3,000 or whatever it was to get a guitar for a guy that, you know, could have left the band two weeks later. You know what I mean? Like he really, that's how things were moving so quick. I mean, it was like we had to put our best foot forward. And um, yeah, so I was always really thankful of that, like that vote of confidence from him. I was about to know, say that definitely shows, shows he believes that's a, that's a good thing right there. Yeah. Well now, yeah. I mean, how long did it take you when you, you know, when you got, because, you, like you said, 3 a.m., drawn in by it. When you got there and you actually started playing with Rob, Paul, and Brian, how long did it say, take before you were like, I think I think we got something with this band. This, th- These guys look like we could, you know, we could do something. I mean, I from the first audition. I mean, uh, Paul has a very distinct uh, approach to, at least at that time, now he's playing guitar in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, but, uh, I mean, but, but still does. I mean, he actually played drums on a lot of where the light goes, Yeah, you know, so oftentimes, um, you know, like if you take, um, if you take like how far we've come, mm-hmm. right. Uh, from a rhythmic perspective where you take uh bent, mm-hmm. particularly bent, which is actually one of my favorite Matchbox 20 songs, um, and arrangements, uh, that kind of illustrates the, um, uh, almost Ringo-ness to his parts mm-hmm. and his, like he's a very imaginative drummer mm-hmm. rhythmically. 
and then Brian, um, aka Pookie, you know, he just has this finger style like pocket that um, I did recognize is, you know, that there was something unique there mm-hmm. in the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know, it's tough stuff. It's just the tough things to explain. Um, I, you know, who knows, man? I don't even know how deep I was thinking about it at that time. I was just like, okay, I, you know, my mind, I'm going, I'm pretty sure we got one hit song. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get some money from a label pretty soon. So, Let's yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, it wouldn't be hard to say, let's ditch those brown shorts. I've had enough of them. Let's, let's, let's get yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. now, well, now, so you, you make the first album yourself or someone like you comes out and I hear, you know, and, and I mean, it was fairly, it, it, it didn't really do much in those first few weeks. It came out no. and it, it stalled hard. That's right. w- now, was there a point in that stalling where in your head you were like, ah, this probably isn't going to yeah. work. What am I going to do next? 100%. Yeah. We, um, so long day was the first single. It's, it's, we, we were signed by, Lava Records, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which was a went on to put out Kid Rock's first record mm-hmm. and uh, 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 Sugar Ray's first record, and a handful of us. But you know they were um, they weren't a major, mm-hmm. so we had a you know we had a pretty tight budget. Mm-hmm. We made that first record on. I mean that's probably the cheapest record we've ever made, um, and. We had hardly any tour support. Rob got a publishing deal, thankfully, mm-hmm. on the on the strength of his songs, as he should. And he decided to um, invest a lot of that money back into the band, so that we could we could pick up. You know, he basically picked up the slack that you know our, our indie label at the time couldn't could. Yeah. So they worked, they worked long day. Um, you know, Rob was able to keep us out touring, but long day kind of. You know, it flopped. You know, they worked at a rock radio, and we got some ads, but it wasn't blowing. It yeah. wasn't blowing the country away, and so we saw where that was going, and we're going well. You know, and Rob only had so much money of his publishing uh, advance to, with you know, without songs that were had proven themselves yet. You know, yeah. he had what he had, and so there was there was a limit to where that was going to go, and we're driving around. I'm pretty sure it was like the West Coast somewhere. And we're playing some large clubs here and there and we're doing, you know, and then in, in some cases we're playing for, you know, 10 people. I mean, it was, it was a bizarre time and we're going, we see it kind of that, that single fading. And mm-hmm. I remember us kind of doing the, you know, like the, you know, the, you know, it's like, we're, we're, we're just, you know, we're just, well, we made one record guys. Yeah. Been great, um, you know. It's sort of like if we when we get back to Orlando, if we don't get back in this band and do anything after that, it's you know it's been real. Yeah. And then push, and then we caught word that push was getting a lot of a lot of uh, spins down down your neck of the woods. I mean the south, you know, southeast. Um, obviously, particularly Birmingham. Yeah. But you know, Orlando was there was some love. Atlanta there was some love, but particularly Birmingham just started playing push. Um, because their their listeners were responding, not because, not because the label worked it. Yeah. So it was an organic thing, and so at that point, Atlantic Records starts you know, paying attention, right? Because yeah. they're like, "Whoa, what's happening? What's this, this blip down here?" And um, that's when Atlantic basically bought. They saw they saw an opportunity, and they came in and they bought us out of our lava deal, 
And then they just started dumping money into it. And then suddenly, like, you know, the video budgets <laughs> skyrocket. Had, like, yeah. you know, more zeros on them, you know? And it was like, uh, so. Yeah, and then that's and then you see the power of a major label at that time. It's, you know, basically we had the Warner Music Machine behind us at that point internationally as well. It's it's, so it's wild. The the organic nature of Birmingham is wild to me. Like the the fact that yeah. that like I mean just the the good folks of Birmingham were like this song. I'm into the this good, song. Exactly. Like <laughs> the good folks of Birmingham exactly. Uh, um what is it about the southeast? Yeah, I don't I don't um yeah, the, I think maybe, I think it was, uh, well, listen to the way Rob was singing at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's, he's a very different, more soulful singer now mm-hmm. than he was then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, if you want to break it down and analyze it, I think we were, uh, there was a good balance of like this folky kind of almost country thing at times. I remember CMT playing 3 a.m., you mm-hmm. know? Um, I mean, country artists have been covering 3 a.m. for years now. Yeah. Um, I just, Rob just sent me a video of Thomas Rhett playing 3 a.m. last couple nights at one of whatever he was playing. Hmm. So, so you had this kind of folky element that existed. And then I, I feel like I brought a little bit of this, that Guns N' Roses, like, dare I say, rock kind of mentality of like, turn the amps up. Like, let's make it loud. Like, we're a rock band, you know? Um, that was grungy thing was kind of in there somehow. Yeah. And then you had Rob's like Southern drawl mm-hmm. being very pronounced in the music. So I guess all that stuff together is how I would explain that sort of Southeastern cultural movement that really started it. But then obviously it, it bled into the rest of the country and, and you couldn't escape those songs. What it boiled out to. To circle back to your earlier point though, all of that entered everything I just des- described is when we entered the charts at like, you know, 223 or like <laughs> just inside 200, you know, yeah. like maybe it was like 170 something. Yeah. And then it just crept up and crept up and crept up and crept up and just, I mean, it is, is one of the, I, you know, it, it's one of those yeah. that amazes me. It's a, it's a, it was a slow burner. It's one of those. It was a that, very slow burner. And it still was not a number one record, oddly enough. Yeah. And and yet, and even, and, and it also, if you look at the data, it explains, like 3AM was not a number one song. Yeah. Although you could argue, or you, you could argue, it's one of our most beloved songs. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, Bent was actually our first number one song in terms of, you know, at rock, at, at radio format across the, you know, whatever the spectrum was there, number one. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you look, you look at, you look at Spotify. Actually, I just brought it up right now, and and uh, three a.m. is the second most streamed on Spotify. The push, push, yeah, Fine push. Right? I, I think we're struggling a little bit with our streaming in, in terms of just you know in comparison to some other bands of our era. And we've talked about this. We're a little perplexed by it. Um, yeah, we're a little perplexed by it. But it's, um, I mean, it's it, you know, it's nothing to it's nothing to be embarrassed of where the numbers are, but like, for instance, like if you look at Mr. Jones and now we're just having a data conversation, which is probably going to bore you. But <laughs> you look at Mr. Jones and this has like over a billion uh, plays. Yeah. You look at push uh, and it's had maybe 300 million or something. Yeah. Um, right. 
Yeah, so yeah, Mr. Mr. Jones has 600 624 million just just oh, okay. on just on Spotify by itself. Just on Spotify. What, Mr. Jones? Yeah, Mr. Jones has 624. I thought it had a billion. Six six hundred and twenty four no? for for uh, okay maybe I read that wrong I might be thinking of Google Dolls Irish yeah that's what I am yeah but, Irish does have it with them yeah one point one point two for Irish one point two yeah I don't know that I would argue that Irish was a bigger hit than Push yeah you know what I mean like then the question is why anyway that's something that we're kind of working on because you know the reality is is that's that's where people consume their music and. That can be strange for a band that came up in, a, in you know, in, in a in a era where the medium was entirely different. Well, I was I was actually going to ask that a little bit later when we got to the the new album. But I mean, since we're we're talking about, it, I mean, that is one of those really interesting things. When I was thinking about it, is the fact that making an album obviously in '96 is 100 percent different than it is now. I mean, everything's changed, and then putting it out, everything is completely different. Like, yeah, for Matchbox Twenty, would you say it's made it easier or harder or better or worse? I mean, is or is it just different as far as the the whole way that you know you make it and release it? I mean, I think easier and just its mechanics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, harder in terms of it, the amount of other noise that's out there, mm-hmm. right? Um, I would argue that in a world where you're trying, where you're a band like us that has a history at radio, mm-hmm. let's say, and you have a label coming in to work a single from said band uh, at the radio format, it's competitive. But I would argue less competitive than a, you know, a <laughs> just putting your single on a service that literally everybody in the planet could put out a single yeah. whenever they want. Yeah. And I know that's a very macro kind of view of it, and it, it's it's more nuanced than that. But that is the reality. Oh yeah. We're not. It's not just like us trying to get our single, you know listen to in a certain market we're now in just this amalgamous kind of digital environment so it's like I, you know and I just don't I'm not a content guy I mean we're trying to become more people that are, are understanding the fact that allowing some glimpses into things mm-hmm. um, it, whether it's your personal life and a lot of times it just is your personal life mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes we're seeing the data show that on, on TikTok and stuff. It's like, we do, yo, I'm on the bus, I'm making some meal. It's like, oh yeah. sometimes that gets as much or more engagement as a guy who, who we hired, who's on salary, rides on a bunk, tour, does the whole tour, gets all this rad stuff with like the crazy lights. Yeah. And, I mean, that stuff we're kind of grappling with right now is just, having to make ourselves believe that that's actually the case. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is I That makes any sense, you know. Oh no, I've 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 had uh, a bunch of conversations with different artists. It is it is infuriating, I'm sure, as artists trying and I actually saw you posted you you had a post about it actually a, a little while ago on on Instagram uh, about, you know, 
the idea of artists trying to promote their their art and making that content to promote that art and sort of the balance between creating art versus the content that promotes the art and you know i mean it's one of those things that like to me and and an artist shouldn't have to basically be like all right how do i creatively show this art they should just say this is my art here you go but like you know it's like you said there's just so much out there that if you do that you're, it's never going to be seen. It's never going to be heard. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, because, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, it's time management, right? You're looking at, like, how many hours in the day and what can I do productive with those hours? Um, if, if you're spending more of that time uh, making content about making art, how much time are you actually making art? Yeah. Yeah. How much time are you actually spending um, toiling away at, you know, uh, breaking, uh, uh, dissecting, deconstructing songs and trying to figure out why they, you know, need to be better and how you can make them better and how you can be more inventive if you're spending all your time just documenting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a valid, I don't care, you know, for, you know, if you're a Gen Zer or if you're, you know, my generation. I mean, I think that's something that's just the world all of us are living in. So I think you've got to find a balance. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't love, I don't love an artistic space where everybody's spending equal amount of time um, documenting their lives as they are trying to be the best uh, creator they can be mm-hmm. uh, so that we can all continue to enjoy music and, and, and you know, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I, I think there's a, I think there's a, there's a balance and, and it's like you mentioned earlier, as far as you guys looking at your numbers and going, okay, well, why, why don't we have the streaming numbers that we think we should have, um, right. and sort of in comparison to other songs of, of that, you know, of that time frame and whatnot. And, you know, it, it's, it's crazy I, I'm, I'm, you know, I love looking at that as far as artists and it, it's, that's one of those weird things about how, you, you know, the, the, the music culture now, there's so many avenues to bring in listeners. I mean, you have streaming, you have hard copies of vinyls and whatnot, you have touring numbers, you have social media numbers and like, depending on what artist it is sometimes they have they outpace the other stuff uh you know they've just got like abysmal numbers in one of those areas but then just amazing numbers in another like i mean you know i i just just, we just had uh my morning jacket on and we had goose i love those guys man yeah both both of those groups right their their streaming numbers are so so small but their touring numbers are just insane. Right. Like they can yeah. just they can just sell out places just so easily and it's just wild. I mean, I guess that's one of the benefits of sort of the way music has sort of morphed now is that you you can at least have a a bunch of different opportunities to grab uh listeners. It might be harder to, but at least there's a lot of different ways to do it. 
I agree. I uh, I would if I put a bow on this that whole part of the conversation, I would say, um, you know, there's a silver lining in all of it. So it is an adaptation. But one example I would, you know, would, would, would cite is it always seemed a little um, antiquated to me that terrestrial radio would only pay the songwriter on a spin. Mm-hmm. Um, right. They would only pay the publisher or the, you know, and or the songwriter. And that never made sense to me. It's like, no, you're playing the, the master. Yeah. That's fine if you're playing other versions or right. the songwriter does a song at night. But if you're playing the master, like that's, that was a production. Yeah. So I think digital, although obviously getting a bad rap for you, you know, you got to have, I don't, I tell you what, I'm glad. I think ultimately it's a positive thing for Matchbox 20. We just have to learn how to adapt and we are. Right. Um, catalog speaks for itself and i believe that we the catalog is 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 deep and if people find the catalog there are going to be people that like it um so but you know man a younger artist like trying to make a living right now in the competitive space that you just laid out with the you know amount of royalties that will trickle down from spotify um i mean it's hard to get a million streams yeah and a million streams isn't going to Nobody's nobody's getting a mortgage on a million streams. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know how young talent how they figure out a way to monetize their careers in a business that's already hard to make a living in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would imagine you feel that a little bit in the podcast realm too, because that's a very competitive field. Oh, it's 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 in the podcast world. It's it's. Uh... I will say maddening sometimes. There's there, there's so many. I mean, it, it's it's the same. Like you said, it's the same sort of scenario. But you, you look around and you, you you look at some of these other podcasts and you go, "What? How do they have so many? Why? Right? Why do they have so many streams? Right. What happened here?" But man, let me tell you. I mean, I got a twenty twenty four year old, a twenty one year old, um, and they listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of YouTube uh, YouTubers mm-hmm. and it's and a lot of times it's just like my oldest daughter particularly she just listens to uh, you know um, I always see like groups usually just like two or three people having conversations just like a round table of just like mm-hmm. everything across the cultural sphere mm-hmm. I mean it's like there's nothing untouched it's very intellectual type stuff that's pretty much what she does all the time like yeah. cable television I mean, cable television is not a part of her life. No. Um, radio, trust your radio, not a part of her life. Um, so, like, what we're doing right now, even though, you know, and, and she'll listen, it'll go on for three hours. Yeah. So I don't, I actually don't think that's, it seems to be a very relevant space for people to, get, A, get their news, to find out what's going on in culture, and yeah. It is. It's just, it's just one of those things. I mean, it's like you said with music. It's just, there's just so much of yeah. it. There's just, right, and how do you get yeah. your tribe? Yeah, but see, if you look at it from a tribe perspective, um, I I'm very fascinated with what, like, say, Matchbox 20's brand could be in the next couple decades, mm-hmm. right? Because we could look at it a multitude of ways, but another way 
you know, there, there's a couple main moving forward at this stage in our career. I feel like we could look at trying to to, to get as many new listeners on board mm -hmm. to join the tribe. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of an approach. Mm -hmm. Or we could go, we have this tribe. Let's cater to them. And they're always going to have our back. And yeah. we always have an audience and that we can be ourselves mm -hmm. um, creatively, which I think I, I see that as one of the highest honors. I mean, I feel like I, you know, I'm a part of something in which I can um, wholly be myself creatively and uh, it's going to be reciprocated um, in an audience that we built. So like that, what we can do with that in, a, in, a, in an era of social media dominance and the digital age, I think is kind of fascinating to me right now because we do have that tribe and we, you know, we have ways to speak to them directly Yeah, um, that we don't need another medium for. Honestly, I think, I think a lot of, media out outlets are, are going that way a lot of artists are going that way and entertainers it's just okay these are these are our committed members these are our, yeah. you know this is our real audience let's play for them and uh and and you know that's that that that's what works well at least for for what's out there right now but uh, i mean moving on we went in, went into a long long detour on on uh, media in general but i mean one of the other avenues there is touring and ultimately touring is what got you to this new album uh you guys were getting yeah. ready to tour in 2020 uh and you, you had a tour scheduled with uh the wallflowers and we all That's know right. we all know what happened um i did i did by the way i found it funny i i went all the way back on your Instagram, I found a post from January 12th, 2020, and the caption was, 2020 is poised to be a fantastic year. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, that one, that one did not yeah. age well. That one was not the best yeah. for us. But, uh, so, yeah, you you guys are stuck at home like everybody else, and, and and you you can't tour for several years, and I hear it was you that suggested to the band, hey, since we haven't been able to go out on the road, let's make a new album. That's right. Um, I'm always interested uh, in experimenting and pushing, and I still don't think we've made our best album, in my opinion. And I, I will continue to believe that until the day I die, because... Um, you know, we got we have such powerhouse talent in this band. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul really stepped up in a, in a big way mm -hmm. on where the light goes. Um, he brought. He's been doing a lot of scoring, mm -hmm. uh, which he's gotten very into variety of keyboards and uh, MIDI recording techniques. Mm -hmm. um, if you know anything about that, I'm sure you do. Um, because we weren't physically together. You know, uh, as a drummer and a guitar player and a keyboard player, and now a you know uh, just a general arranger and composer. Mm -hmm. Paul's a great composer too. He and I re really uh, bond over that stuff too. We we both listen to a lot of classical music and and just different orchestral music um, and compositional music. Um, I'm like, man, why don't we? We've always made records in a very traditional way for us, which is what you'd expect. We have a handful of songs that we like before we go, and then we get into either a rehearsal space or, or just go straight into the studio. 
and we arrange those on the floor like musicians would do. Mm-hmm. And and then we go about the process of recording it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we fine tune it, but you know, in this case, we weren't able to get together for a while. And I thought, well, let's, let's see where this experimental, let's use this as an experimental jumping off point and see what kind of album we might make with our individual studios, not being physically together. Yeah. Now, Brian wasn't a big fan of that. Um, he's very much a live guy, and I get that, too. I would have preferred that as well. Yeah, I still prefer that method. But I'm like, but nothing's going to change the fact that we all don't feel safe going into a studio. We can't decide on where that would be and how we would create that bubble and how we would, you know, at this time. So let's just work with this and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, that's the, you know, at its at its core. I mean, that's really kind of where it started, and I think that got Rob thinking, all right, well, maybe maybe Kyle's on to something, and then he began to collect songs that he thought he was digging, mm-hmm. and uh, and we were off and running. But there was a lot of files going back and forth, and that was never the case before. Yeah. And see, the thing about the thing about that was you have this thoughtful exchange um, that, and when I say thoughtful, I mean like Paul. Like, for instance, title track, Where the Light Goes. Mm-hmm. Rob had sent that to Paul, and Paul was like, hey, Rob's got this light song. I think there's something here. I'm going to do some drum programming to it, and then I want you to just do what – I'm going to send it to you, and you just see what you – then I played some bass on it. Then I started layering all these guitars over Paul's drum groove mm-hmm. that he programmed. Uh, and that was really the genesis of, of how the whole thing started. Now, we did end up going to New York – several this is like you know a year and a half down the road when we figured out a way to create a bubble that people felt safe with we had a producer that was had a doctor coming in and was testing for covid all the time mm-hmm. and we had a protocol that was easy for rob to deal with so we did end, end up ultimately getting to the band phase and piecing that together but for a, a well over a year it was just back and forth with these files and that thoughtful change i think informed the music because if you and I are writing a song right now in real time, I don't just, you know, I don't just sit there for 20 minutes and contemplate something. I usually have more of a, yeah. you know, we have more of a dialogue kind of. In this situation, I had many times weeks to play with yeah. a track that it falls and didn't have to respond. And then I would respond with a bunch of things and he would make some adjustments and vice versa with Rob. So, I think that informed the way the album is and maybe people that are, you know, following along at home with the Matchbox catalog will sense that will sense that when they hear this album as compares to, you know, the other ones. I don't know. Nice. Well, I mean, considering since it was a little bit different and like you said, you now have you you had a different producer. I mean, like you said, you did a little producing, Paul yeah. did some producing. And then you had Greg right. uh, Wattenberg, who was was producing uh, later on, like you yeah. said. What was it? Just the situation? Is that why Matt uh, wasn't wasn't back in the equation as far as producing? Uh, like you couldn't? No, I think we have a lot of respect for Matt, man. So much respect for Matt. I mean, I, that guy could do. He could he could score. You know, seventy five piece symphonic thing like the night before the session and then conduct it. I mean, he's, I got crazy with mad respect for him. 
I think we, you know, I just think we're in a different, in a different chapter where we're interested in exploring different record producers right now. And yeah. so I just think it's, it's more that than it is. We feel like we've done probably arguably some of our best work with Matt and that stuff will stand. It will continue to stand, but we're also a band that's, you know, um, I mean, I would do a record with somebody like Pharrell. Yeah. I would, you know, like, like that would be interesting to me. Um, I've, I've mentioned, um, Questlove several times. Nice. Uh, you know, even if it was just a song or two. Yeah. So I'm interested in, you know, but I like a lot of R&B and, and like I said, jazz, blues. Mm-hmm. So like I, I, you know, a producer like that would be interesting to me. Um, Greg came about uh, through the label and we loved his work. We loved his work with Train. Um, he's done some work with Goo Goo Dolls that we really love. And it was very convenient. He and Rob had already done a little bit of collaborating together on a Christmas album. So he was kind of already in the fold. He had a studio right there in Manhattan that was convenient for everybody. Um, and in some instances, he's a great producer in his own right, Greg. But in some instances, because of the scenario that I just described, he acted as kind of like an executive producer. So in some cases, he, he executive produced or oversaw things that in most of this case was Paul and I bringing in. Rob would generally end up singing sometimes at his place, but sing over the final tracks that Paul and I would kind of piece together and we would all agree is a good direction. And in some cases we we recorded those things entirely with Greg because he wasn't happy with it. But in some cases, um, Greg was happy with what existed there and we just added things to it. So that's how we kind of ended up becoming, you know, uh, additional producers on the record because these were things that we did alone at our studios, um, uh, which describes that whole, you know, new process of ours. Yeah. Well, now, um, it was, it was a bit of a, like you said, it was a very collaborative process as far as the songs, uh, with, with Rob having, uh, writing titles on them, uh, Paul having writing titles and, and you, uh, having writing title there on, I know better, like you said, and I, I saw, uh, that was inspired by an argument that you had with your girlfriend was that the the the, right. the the spawning of the song that's right yeah yeah i mean it started as a very you know run-of-the-mill kind of disagreement that you have with you know with your with your significant other about mm-hmm. you know um something being left in the house where it's not supposed to be left or something you know and then it it sort of metastasized into this three day like I was down visiting my mother in Fort Myers Beach and uh you know you know how those things just they just escalate into these things like this three day like fuming like we're about ready to end the relationship kind of thing you know and you're just like how do we get here because I I left you know a dozen eggs out on the counter or yeah. something like that and and so that's where it started but I was listening to uh John Mellencamp's latest album, mm-hmm. who I'm a big fan of. And it was very kind of, he's in this very kind of John Prine mm-hmm. uh, period of his life, mm-hmm. uh, I would say. Very storyteller, a little darker. Mm-hmm. The topics are a little weightier. And I kind of was fixated on this idea that my girlfriend insisted that she knew better about this position that she had in this argument that you know we were in. And I kind of attached that to Donald Trump and the danger um, of politicians Mm -hmm. not 
believing that they can be wrong. That they always know better. Yeah. Correct. And and from a policy perspective, how dangerous that can be and how quickly we move into an authoritarian kind of situation. So it may have started there, but if you listen to that lyric, it's, it, 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 it becomes very clear that there's this menacing character that's constantly reminding you how in any situation that you may arise. And I think we all have these people in our lives. Every one of us has one of those people in our lives that like, no matter what it is, they'll go to Google and find some thing that explains why. No, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to show you this article right <laughs> here where you're wrong. Yeah. So it kind of, it really morphed into a, a, a deeper, the character was informed there, but then was enriched by the idea of, you know, nice. politicians. Nice. Well, now, uh, l- like I said, you guys didn't really plan on making this album before the pandemic. So we were just going to do a couple songs. Yeah. I, I get, I guess at this point in, in matchbox, 20s career do you yeah. you got you guys don't really plan it out as far as like okay so now we're gonna you know tour for this long and then we're gonna do that like so as far as no. future future ideas it's all all in the air no i mean i think i mean i'm not gonna lie i think the brunt of the responsibility in a lot of situations falls on rob as the leader of the band. So when I say responsibility, I mean, um, if we take on a project, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of responsibility on his shoulders as somebody that's also trying to balance a um, solo career. Mm -hmm. Um, Ever ever since Smooth uh, ate the world, you know, I think with good reason, um, he's developed that side of his career. Um, and had great success doing that. So um, it's always a balancing act of coming, kind of coming home mm-hmm. to Matchbox 20, uh, but you know, wanting to maintain independence in his in his solo life as well. So I think that said, I, I I think the band is willing to work when he's willing to work. Mm-hmm. 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 So really, I mean, you know. Um, I see us doing more. I just think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be at a time when he is a very prolific writer. Right. So I think when he feels like he's ready to do that, I, I have a good feeling the band will be will be there. Nice. Because this is, I mean, I, I, you know, I think we all respect this as maybe something that's bigger than all of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I, I think there's a there's a collective gratefulness for that. Nice. As we move forward, yeah. Now, you guys, like I mentioned, you guys haven't, uh, you guys haven't toured. This is the first one since 2017. So, going out on tour and it being a good six years, over these first few shows of the tour, what's got you most excited? What's been, you know, what what have you been really jazzed about getting out there on stage? Well, our new our new uh, lighting and staging is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so very excited for people to see that, and that just you know, you know, you talk about being you know. If we go back to appetite for destruction, the kid in me that wanted to be Slash gets to be Slash every night with this with this rig behind me. I mean, there's a globe that glows and shoots lights out of it, and nice. 
psychedelic content like floating by on a gigantic LED screen behind me. It, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, yeah. The 18 year old kid that, you know, was slinging the guitar, just, you know, trying to one to headline clubs, it's always going to be blown away by that. Yeah. But I think on a, you know, but the 47 year old me that knows that in a lot of ways, rock stardom, you know, might have a, a an expiration date. <laughs> um, I see, you know, fans from that first album period bringing their kids and in some cases, grandkids. So we moved into a phase where in some cases we are seeing grandkids yeah. who have been raised in households that uh, have Matchbox 20, Matchbox 20 albums have been playing in uh, for their whole lives. And that, like for that, for me to not be excited about that as a guy who's got a 24 year old and a 21 year old um, that gets highly overpaid <laughs> to play songs I recorded with friends of mine 25 years ago is just astonishing yeah. you know and uh yeah i mean so i look i look at i look at these when we do these meet and greets uh these people do these vip packages and they and they bring their kids and they bring their grandkids and we and you can visually see that that uh generational kind of hand-me-down mm-hmm. of the music i mean that's powerful man. and I, and i say i look at that and they go man when i'm gone like, ain't no headstone that can make any kind of impact like this catalog of music yeah. that we've imparted on people. So, very, very happy about that. Very proud of that. For sure. For sure. Well, you guys are you guys are playing Birmingham before you guys actually play Jacksonville. You're playing Birmingham here in just a couple of shows. Uh, and I was wondering, yeah. you, you know, you talking about that uh, generational love of Matchbox 20. Do you still... I mean, it's been, like I said, it's been obviously several years since you've played Birmingham, but do you get people, do you expect to get people at Birmingham that go, hey, in 96, I was I was one of the people that was listening to Push. I was the person that wanted to listen 100%. to it. Oh my God, 100%. Nice. 100%. It will erupt. Nice. I, I, I'm I looking very forward to that's the Oak Mountain venue. It's a great venue, too. Yeah. Have you been? I have not. Oh man, I highly suggest it. It's 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 um I I think it's it's one of the top definitely one of the top ten maybe one of the top five amphitheaters in America. Nice. Um, yeah, I would put the Gorge obviously at the top, but I don't know. There's just a vibe. There's just a real good vibe there. It's just kind of carved into the mountain a little bit. And, you know, you, the perspective of the higher tier, mm-hmm. what would be the lawn or whatever is sort of high mm-hmm. so it's a little close yeah. and it's just got that yeah it's just got great it, there's no there's not a bad seat in that joint nice uh, but i do expect the people to to lose their minds in in typical southeastern fashion as well as atlanta georgia which is also another massive market for us so yeah we're about to we're about to get our uh, egos tickled a little bit <laughs> <laughs> hit hit the hit the strong areas i love it i love yeah. it yeah well, Kyle, we are up against a break, man, but I want to thank you for taking the time and, and talking with us today. It's been a blast. I really enjoyed it, man. Thanks for having me on.
For sure, for sure. Listeners, you can ch- you can check them out July 5th in Jacksonville. Daly's Place is going to be fantastic. Uh, you can check out everything as far as all the tour dates at Matchbox 20. You can also get the new album there, matchbox20.com. Right now, let's take a listen to Wild Dogs right here on the Doc G Show. We were eyes wide open when the world got dark. Dancing to a rhythm that feels so hard you can feel it. Back here on the Doc G Show, you just heard Matchbox 20 here on the Doc G Show. Fantastic, Mike. Kyle Cook here on the show. Love it. Yeah. Nice dude. Nice interview. Favorite highlight? Any highlights, Mike? Uh, I thought it was interesting. He said, um, like, the, he he didn't play guitar in orchestra because he sat in the back. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? Well, no, he he didn't have the option at first. They didn't have a a guitar, you know, guitar as an option just in general. But he said guitar wasn't getting it done once he was in. Once he was in orchestra, his his band director let him play guitar. And then, you know, it just was, I mean, it was cool, but it just wasn't cool as being a rock star. Yeah, yeah. And he was playing violin, right? He first was playing violin, yeah. At first, mm-hmm. he was playing the violin. See, that doesn't work at parties. The violin doesn't work. You're going to have to be really good if you want that to work at parties, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. That's, you you got to be up there on your fiddling if that's going <laughs> to pull. You have to have a pretty cool violin. Yeah, too, yeah. pull that uh, out. Anything else, Mike? He said, yeah, he said, don't follow your high school um, girlfriend yeah, mm-hmm. to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I was amazed and, he pulled uh, that one out. I got to be honest about about <laughs> yeah. about his uh, about his uh, daughter. I was like, you le- you yeah. let her do that? Oh man! Yeah, yeah, interesting. If I would have followed my uh, high school girlfriend to college, I probably would have had a better education, to be honest. <laughs> if um, I would have followed my high school go- uh, high school girlfriend, I would not be going to college because I didn't have a <laughs> high school girlfriend. So hey, there you go. That's, yeah. that's what cool folks like myself do. Mike, anything uh, else you got there from the, the interview? I thought it was super interesting. You talked about Rob having that song burst, like mm-hmm. that that burst of like songwriting. And I just, man, that's just super interesting when well, I'll, I'll you tell know, you a about guy that. just cranks out. Yeah. I'll tell you about that, Mike. There's a, He didn't go into it. Um, there, there's a little bit of a backstory of why he went into that sound bur- uh, song burst. That's a fact. Um uh, essentially, he was in. They were in a band before Matchbox Twenty. Uh, mm-hmm. Rob was very not schooled in the game of uh, of music. Essentially, as far as as far as the music industry, not as far as songwriting. And his guitarist was, and his guitarist got him to sign basically uh, a licensing agreement that said the whole band owned those songs. Not him, you know, even though he wrote all the songs. And he didn't know that, right? And so then uh, that that band sort of crumbles 
and Rob doesn't want to stay with those guys and they make Matchbox 20 and they're getting ready to release these songs that they had already written and that guitarist comes back and goes, no, those are our songs. You can't release those songs. You signed this agreement. Mm. They're licensed. And it obviously really off because he wrote all those songs and he's like, what the And so he literally went in a, in a span of like three weeks and wrote all of those songs just basically in spite of those guys to be like, oh, so I can't have any of those songs? That's fine. I'll write better songs. I'm going to go write them right now. Yeah. And that's what he did. Nice. I love that. I love that. You know? And, Rage writer. Yeah. Oh, I, I was about to say, it was <laughs> It was literally, I mean, he obviously didn't need Rage in the rest of his career because he just kept on coming up with great songs. But like, you know, that that's that spurred that spitefulness spurred all of those songs the only song that didn't that wasn't created in that time was was uh 3 a.m that was the one song Mm. and since that song was created about his his mom uh you know having cancer and everything he was like i don't care we'll fight this one in the courts i'm not you know i'm not giving this song to them they're not gonna have this song by itself so yeah that one they actually litigated and, and fought and, and got it on the, the album regardless. But the other ones, mm. and that's what he said, the other ones, the other songs that they had licensed to, he said were way worse than the songs he actually came up with. And that was one of the things was he, mm. you know, he was fueled like, I'm going to make songs that are way better than that. And he did. Nice. And that was the album. Yeah, he did. You know? So yeah, he there did. you go. Anything else? Yeah. Um, the very last thing I thought it was interesting that they got that, they got the ball rolling in Birmingham or yeah. is it in Alabama? Was it specifically Birmingham, Birmingham? Alabama? Yeah. I thought that was Think extremely that. Awesome. interesting. Like I was just fascinated yeah. by the fact, like, it's just one of those organic things that you're just like, what, what, why the f- was it Birmingham? Like why? Like yeah. no offense. I'm like not no no offense to to uh, to, to Matchbox Twenty. No offense to Birmingham, but just how does that happen? That everybody yeah. organically in Birmingham is like, you know what? This album kicks. Like just like yeah, this is amazing. It's like yeah. it's just so it's just so wild, you know. But shout out to the people of yeah. Birmingham, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank every you. now and then get it done too for us we like the people of birmingham every now and then they they, they have been known to be semi-regulars of the show so shout mm-hmm. out to yeah they pop showed out. A, shout out to beham so true beham my man Choi. Mm-hmm. i i do believe if if Choi hasn't left Choi still lives in uh in beham so there you go shout out to shout out to Choi and shout out to birmingham shout out. uh yeah mike we need to move on to the fastest growing segment in the world the mike c top three Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you and the listeners. I I I, I, I didn't know where to start with this one. It was just yeah, it was yeah. just too much. <laughs> there was just I, I I don't know if the list. So the if the listeners don't know, the topic for today was um, top three people that you would want to have a conversation with, alive or dead. Yeah, alive or dead. And listeners, yeah. I don't know if you're aware, but there have been a lot of people on Earth. A lot. A lot. Yeah. So to, ju- to choose just three, it was tough. Uh, and so, Mike, I, I choose a lot. And I'm going to give you three, but I'm not going to give you an, an order. Okay? okay? I'm just like, I can't say That's I want to talk to one more than that. I don't know. I don't know which one would be yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to give you three, listeners. These are not ranked. Okay. Um, okay. So my, you want to do honorable mentions last? 
We'll do honorable mentions. Also. Okay. So my third one, I got to do it because I do it for everything. Michael Jordan. Of course. Just want to talk to him. You know, will he have any amazing insights? Probably not. But I just want to be like, hey, so you're awesome. Yeah. That's pretty much it. You know, like I I definitely say a lot of dumb things and he'd look at me like, man, <laughs> you are dumb. And I'd be like, yep. Yeah, I am, but I'm pretty jazzed about being here right now, you know? Like, so that one, yeah. that one, there's not like a lot of insight on. I just want to talk to him. That's it. Yeah. That's it. All right, Mike, what's your number three? Okay, so MJ was actually one of my honorable mentions. He was my only honorable mention. That's why I was going to say it for the end, just because I know I thought you might have brought. And I, I don't even know if I would have a conversation. I just want to be around the yeah. guy for like 20 minutes. Just, see what just his take is notes. Like. Well, how do, yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> what is he doing? Um, so, uh, yeah, so my number three, if uh, it's not really ranked, but it kind of is ranked, actually. Oprah. <laughs> Oprah would be a good convo. Definitely. Uh, I think she's a pro interviewer you know she's she's been doing it for a long time i feel like she would that, she that would that's some, very similar to one to of my uh honorable mentions one of my honorable okay. mentions uh but oprah did not make it i could put oprah on my honorable <clears throat> mention i'd like to talk to her definitely yeah. like to talk to her yeah for sure for sure um my uh, uh my second one again not ranked um confucius Ooh, confucius yeah what did he do again, Doctor? Yeah, I'm uh, terrible with like. Well, he's an Eastern know, Eastern philosopher. You know, he okay. uh, he came up with Confucianism. Mm. Uh, he just, I mean, he's a central figure in Eastern beliefs and in religion. You know, and he just seems like yeah. one of those guys that really. Like you could like, I mean, just like like a like a fantastic counselor that would leave you searching for more. Like, I'd just be like, well, what about mm. this? And he'd be like, what about that? You'd be like, oh, my God, that's true. And he'd be like, mm. you know, like, I just yeah, yeah. think it'd be, it'd be a real, real interesting one there. But again, yeah. it's very close. There are a lot of other folks that that, that it could go in that spot. Uh, Mike, yeah, you're, num you're sure. number two. So, actually, I think the whole reason why I thought about this, like, uh, was um for this guy which would be nikola tesla mm. like i think that guy's very interesting watched a couple documentaries and i think the main thing that i'm like super curious about if he could try to explain this to me like i am a 10 year old since mm -hmm. i essentially that's how i like things to well the understanding uh, of physics you know yeah it's so much easier it's uh, a little bit higher how do we yeah how do we transfer electricity in the air what was his plans there you know because he was trying to like he was trying to wasn't like right that he was trying to send he was trying to use electricity in the air or he mm -hmm. was no power lines yeah 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 what was that thing i, yeah, so I, I yeah i, I definitely <laughs> couldn't give you a good explanation on what he's doing there mike nope not my forte he got close it seemed like he got close he and then they shut it down because uh you know nobody understood what he was doing he, yeah you know i, he blew I mean up. he was definitely a, ahead of his time mike that's why a lot yeah. of people always point to him he's a little bit crazy too you know you yeah. had a little bit of that in it fell in love with the Pigeon yeah, you know, he had a lot. He had a lot of eccentricities, as most folks uh, in that mm -hmm. lane tend to do. My uh, number one, Mike. Well, not number one again. Um, and this one, uh, a couple of our our guests uh, got to do this. Norm Macdonald. 
Ah, Norm McDonald. I, yes. I just think Norm is just such a good guy to talk to. Like, it's not even like I, it's not mm. like a bunch of things that I would learn or anything. Just want to talk to him. Just feel like yeah. you just have a bunch of random fun things to say, and I'd be like, "That was awesome." Mm-hmm. Norm put me in a good yeah. mood, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's I. I there's no yeah. no amazing groundbreaking stuff there. Just wanted it, you yeah. know. He'd be a cool hang. Yeah, I could. I could and see and, that. and yeah. I mean, you know, the two people that got to hang with him on the show definitely said so. So, you know. Anyways, Mike, you're number yeah. one. Jesus Christ. <laughs> JC. <laughs> JC, yeah, JC, JC was going to be on my honorable mention, you know, uh, but okay. he wasn't on my. I, I don't have him listed here, <laughs> but I could put him there. I could definitely put him there. I thought he was going to be your number one. I thought we were going to have like two of the same number ones. Yeah, well, um, I mean, you know, JC's uh, life has been documented a lot. Um, yeah, but how much? How much of it is? Yeah, true? you'd like, like to that's, know that's that. My thing. You I'm know. Like, Hey, what's this? You know, what happened here? What was that thing? About? Yeah, he's like, I, I wasn't was a. Yeah, I was about to say, he was like, I wasn't a carpenter. I was a drug dealer. And you're like, oh, <laughs> all right, well, that was really. They ruined that one. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I love drugs. I love drugs. That's why yeah. I flipped the tables. I was upset. They weren't giving me the right money, and I was like, ah, wasn't anything about the the exchange of currency. No way. Also, mohawk. Yeah. You have the long hair in most of the paintings. True. I was <laughs> different. It's big and I looked uh, sort of like uh, Mr. T most of the time when I was there. Oh, very cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it would be interesting. Definitely uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, my honorable mentions, Mike, I'll put JC on there. Like I said, I, 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 yeah. I, don't get me wrong. Both of yours. How could you not? I mean, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to. Most famous guy in history. I'm going to go Oprah, too. Put her on there as well. But uh, the other ones that I got on there, Einstein. I'll talk about yeah. Einstein, you know. Wow. Didn't even think about that yet. He had some just uh, uh, unbelievable thoughts. And, and, and that's the thing with him. You know, Tesla was out there, you know. But Einstein wasn't really. For the most part, most things he does are semi, seem semi-sane, you know? So Yeah, he chills. Um, Goes to the beach. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Mm, Tom Hanks, yeah. Tommy again, sort of like Norm. Just, I, there's nothing amazing he'd say. I just like, he seems like a really fun guy to hang out with and talk, you yeah. know? Uh, Aristotle. Now that one would be more like Confucius. Yeah, Aristotle. Yeah. Uh, I don't really want to do Plato or Socrates. Those guys, they don't seem to be on my same wavelength of, of debating mm-hmm. philosophy. Aristotle seems more my speed. So there you mm. go. Yeah. FDR. I'd like to talk to Franklin, you know? Um, Franklin, uh, you know, we, we talked about him a little bit. I mean... The dude had four terms as president. He uh, brought us through the Great Depression, brought us through World War II, and he had polio. He did all of this yeah. while he was in a wheelchair, and nobody even really knew it. You know, he basically was able to just sort of pretty much keep that completely an afterthought. Nobody even thought about mm-hmm. him not being able to walk. Like... It was just, uh, just a, a titan among men. Yeah, really. You know? Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, for sure. David Letterman. That's another mm. honorable mention, of course. That That's the one that I said yeah. sort of like Oprah. I mean, just, he's in, you know, I go back and watch some of those interviews. I mean, he's interviewed every person you can possibly think of, pretty much. It's wild. It's wild. 
Yeah, yeah, good interview. Just so much knowledge up there in the old noggin. Uh, MLK, Martin Luther King, you know? Yeah. Uh, Ah, Totally forgot, yeah. Love to, to, you know, pick his brain a little bit. Um, And then uh, lastly, and again, I could list about 400 more people that I'd like to talk to, um, but uh, Benjamin Franklin. Like to yeah. like to talk to old he Benny. Made the list for me. You know, yeah, top three. Yeah. Just as far as founding fathers, as I've often said on my uh, on my list, it's it's Benny and it's uh, it's uh, 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 Adams, um, mm-hmm. John Adams, Benjamin Franklin. Those are my two. John Adams, the no nonsense, very uppity turd that most people didn't like, but I just think he was a straight shooter. That I'm like, that guy told it yeah. like it was. I like that dude. That's a fact. You know? Mm-hmm. And then Benjamin Franklin, just the old crazy kook that hung out with all the young rebellious dudes. I mean, that's the thing mm-hmm. that everybody always forgets. All the all the the young founding fathers, they were like in their thirties, late twenties maybe 40s and then ben franklin's like 70 Jeez. not an exaggeration <laughs> just like hanging out with him like hey so are we gonna get some hookers after this or what wait what <laughs> i'm ben franklin anyway like it just uh, awesome awesome character uh anywho that's my list mike there you go yeah there we go uh we go. mike what's our topic for next week top three plants favorite plants Top three plants. House plants, outdoor plants, any plants. All plants. Wow. All plants. God, Mike. Yeah. You gotta stop with these <laughs> with these broad categories. You're gonna rack my brain too uh, hard. Get get down to three. All right. Uh top plants, listeners. Get your top three plants. Mm, man, that's gonna be hard. God, there's so many plants I love, Mike. Come on. There's some good plants out there, Doc G. There's some really good Millions plants. Millions of great plants. It's gonna be tough. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, Mike, we've got two, uh, birthday suits left. Do you want the, the football player or the current basketball player? We'll say the football player. Okay. He's retired, Mike. Uh, he's very famous. Um, but I don't know if you'll get him, uh, cause you're not a yeah. foosball guy. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Born on June 28th, 1960 in Port Angeles, uh, Washington. Our birthday suit wears, uh, father was a football coach. Uh, so the family moved wherever he was coaching. They lived in Washington, then Montana, then Idaho, and then finally California. Our birthday suit wearer followed his, in his dad's football. Uh, his, our birthday suit wearer followed in his dad's footsteps, playing football. He was the quarterback, where he was phenomenal. He ended up uh, with 5,711 passing yards. 49 touchdowns for his uh, senior or his uh, high school career. He decided to go to Stanford where he played both football and baseball. He was terrific in both. He was a unanimous All-American in 1982 and came in second for the Heisman. He was so good in baseball, he was selected in the second round by the New York Yankees in the draft. But he decided to go the football route. Baltimore Colts drafted him in 1983, but then immediately traded him to the Denver Broncos. With the Broncos, he was extremely successful. He was a nine-time Pro Bowler. 
the MVP in 1987, passing yards leader in 1993, a two-time Super Bowl champion. He was elected into the Football Hall of Fame in 2004. He is the fourth in all-time wins for a quarterback behind Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, and Tom Brady. He was the general manager for the Denver Broncos from 2011 to 2020, and then president of football operations. Name that birthday suit wearer. John Elway? Yes! Mike got it! Foosball, yes. everybody! There we go. Nice! Oh, man. Mm. All right. Now you got, got pressure on yourself to go for three for three, Mike. If you've watched any sort of updates on basketball news, I think you can do it. All right. Born on June 28, 1993 in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Our birthday suit wearer loved basketball from a young age. He excelled competing in the 2010 FIBA Under-17 World Championships, winning the MVP and averaging 18 points a game. Coming out of high school, he was the Gatorade National Player of the Year. He went to the University of Florida, where he played one season. He then went to the NBA draft, where he was drafted third overall by the Washington Wizards. For the last 11 years, he's played with the Washington Wizards, being an all-NBA player once in 2021 and an NBA All-Star three times. Just a couple of days ago, he was traded to the Phoenix Suns to play with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Name that birthday suit wearer. Ooh, um... He played with Washington. Washington. It wasn't. Is it John? No. Nope. I was about uh, to say. Ah, um, uh, come on. Hold up. Ah, uh, oh, man. I don't know. Why am I blanking on this? It was a big trade, too. Uh, who is it, Dr. Yon? Initials BB. Hmm. Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal. So close, Mike. So close to a three for three. But yes, Bradley Beal is correct, Mike. That means you end up with 41 and three-fourths. 41 okay. and three-fourths out of 75 for the year. Happy birthday to Bradley Beal. Turning 30, Mike. The big 3-0 mm. for Bradley Beal. Uh, John Elway turning the big 63 for J, uh, John Elway. And then, like I said, old uh, Rob turning 49. One more year. So happy birthday to them all. Mike, we need to wrap it up for this week. We've got fantastic shows coming up. Next week, we've got Alfredo Rodriguez on the show. Just a fantastic piano player. Fantastic composer. Always having a good time. Always loving to play music around the world. We're going to chat with him for a good while. He's got a new album coming out in August called The Coral Away. But we need to wrap it up for now. I have been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Mikey Maximus, the Furnicus, Charette. Always a pleasure, Doc G. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And until next week, zip it up and zip it out. Zip it to do, dog.